Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday evening. It is February the 18th, 2022. And boy, oh boy, we are really off to the races once again. It just seems as though every time I start my program and I look back at the previous week, you know, I, I was once warned, don't say things couldn't be worse because somehow things can get worse. My, my, my dad, may rest in peace, both of my parents are very bright people, didn't have the opportunities I had. They never even attended high school, but they made sure that I went to college. Tragically, they died uh, before I graduated. It was a bittersweet day when I was handed my degree. But my dad said to me very wisely, nothing is so good it couldn't be made better or be so bad that it couldn't get worse. And with the current Biden administration, with the world going haywire and this lack of leadership um, between Biden and Harris and the cabinet and the lunatic left and local politicians, we're really coming unglued. But I I, want to make a couple of quick points about this because I know so many people are filled with despair. My wife and I talk about this all the time. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the late uh, Supreme Court Justice, who actually was from my neighborhood. My Three of my children went to the same high school that she attended. I think I may have mentioned last week, a couple of weeks after 9-11, the principal of that high school invited me to address a packed auditorium of students about 9-11 and about my uh, testimony because I appeared before the Immigration Reform Caucus um, just about five weeks after 9-11. And again, I went before Congress in in March of 2002 and repeatedly after that. But back then, they asked me if I would come and address the student body and the teachers about 9-11, where we are, where we need to be. And I was very happy, very honored to do it. I think my two children who were attending the high school at the time were probably mortified, which I could understand. But I, I, I hope, I guess, that they were satisfied with how I handled that situation because there was a very strong sense of patriotism in America. We knew we were in it together. And it is incredible to me that one generation after the terror attacks of 9-11 that changed the world forever, that many of our politicians act as though there had been no 9-11. I mean, they use it when it's convenient. They use it when they can make political hay out of it. And after all, that's what 99% of politicians do, isn't it? You know, when you're a hammer, everything is a nail. So we hear about the money for the victims of 9-11, and it's a nightmare. People are still dying about every 10 days, mostly first responders, but not only because of the toxins they ingested when the towers collapsed. But the issues that left us vulnerable, in 93 we had two terror attacks. In January 93, a Pakistani by the name of Kansi, drove into the compound at the CIA. He had bought into a courier van service, so he had a permit to park in that parking lot. 
And that cold January morning jumped out with an AK-47, opened fire, killed two CAA officers, wounded three others, and fled the country. Bad guys from other countries have that escape hatch they can disappear through. They get out of Dodge. In the case of Canty, given the nature of the crimes he committed, he was brought back here, put on trial, found guilty, executed, but the dead remain dead, the injured remain injured. And one month after that attack at the CIA, we had the first bombing at the World Trade Center that killed six, injured over 1,000, and inflicted more than a half billion, with a B, half billion dollars in damages to that once iconic centerpiece of the lower Manhattan skyline. You would have thought we would have learned the lessons. <clears throat> and then came 9-11, because the Clinton administration refused to emphasize immigration the way that it needed to. And then when George W. Bush created the Department of Homeland Security, I came to call it the Department of Homeland Surrender, he violated the Homeland Security Act. He blended immigration in with other agencies that had nothing to do with immigration, even though the 9-11 Commission was crystal clear. 9-11 and other attacks like them <clears throat> were only possible because of multiple failures of the immigration system, failures that he refused to address. In fact, according to John Hosteller, the Republican chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee, what the, what the Trump administration did, what, what um, George W. did, was to give us immigration incoherence, made it impossible to secure the borders, enforce the laws, or protect the American people. So when people want to point the finger, Democrat, Republican, <clears throat> both parties bear an awful lot of responsibility for this mess that we now find ourselves in. But I, I do have to tell you that the Democrat Party has lost its mind, lost its moral compass. The lunatics are in charge. And I believe that's the case because Chuck Schumer is an abject coward. Nancy Pelosi is a narcissistic, abject coward. Anybody who could stand in front of a freezer chest <clears throat> and, and that ice cream chest, from what I understand, costs over 25000 Oh, not $2,500, but $25,000, waving around designer ice cream on a night that because of COVID, stores were shut, and American parents across the country, including her constituents, did not know if they'd be able to get fee food to feed their own children. Who but a jackass and a narcissist could pull off a stunt like that, showing no empathy, no consideration, and no compassion? All that she and Chucky Boy and all these others care about is they want power, and they'll do anything to hang on to that power. And if it means screwing us over, so be it. People that are being killed by the defund police movement to them are nothing more than collateral damage. We don't matter. They do a political calculation, and that's all that matters. And, you know, I'm old enough. I'm on the wrong side of 70. I'm old enough to remember that when people said they were going to run for Congress or the House or the presidency or the mayoralty or the governorship, focus was on ideology, on plans, on goals, on agenda, and platforms. Today it's about money. You know, Charlie Schmidlap announced that he's running for governor of the state of nowhere because uh, he now has a war chest of $3.7 million. Really? It's all about buying the office, an office that will never pay back the amount of money it costs to buy that office, because that's what they're doing. They're buying the office with money given to them by people who expect something in exchange for the money. It's the barter system. It's corrupt from square one. And the term political campaign contribution is Orwellian for bribe. 
I could not accept a cup of coffee when I was on duty as a federal agent because the concern was that it would even create the illusion of wrongdoing. But talking about millions, or in the case of a presidential campaign, billions of dollars, you don't think that this is corrupt from the very beginning? Perhaps that's the reason that Donald Trump was so feared by both sides. He did not need their filthy, stinking cesspool money. Oh, my God, if you don't control his money, you can't control him. This is about controlling the politicians. Not about having politicians represent America or living up to their oath of office, defending our nation, defending our laws and the Constitution. It's about the lobbyists employing the politicians. Think of the employer-employer relationship. The employer writes the check. The employee cashes the check. And then you have some of these swindlers in politics. Well, some, most. Oh, I don't take PAC money. Oh, no, no, I don't take political action committee money. I only take small contributions. And their nose grows and grows and grows. They need their staff to walk 20 feet ahead of them to open the doors so they don't break their nose. It's that long. Every politician gets PAC money, period, no matter what they say. They're lying if they tell you they don't. And you know how they get PAC money? The PAC money goes to the Democrat Party, and the PAC money goes to the Republican Party, And the party writes the checks on behalf of the candidates who are willing to do their bidding and be their lackeys. That's what it's about. It's an employer-employee relationship. You want that campaign money? This is what you're going to have to do to earn it. And we see it all the time. Candidates who refuse to toe the line get defunded. That is how you do a political hit in Washington and elsewhere. John Hostetler, who was a phenomenal chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee. I know John. I campaigned for him in Indiana. And by the way, he's an extremely conservative Republican. I'm a lifelong registered Democrat. By the way, the Democrats aren't Democrats. They're anything but Democratic, aren't they? They've become fascists and totalitarians. They want you to do it their way or else, as we're seeing up in Canada right now. But because he would not toe the line, John Hostetler's political campaign was defunded. He didn't even have money to run commercials on television. The same thing happened to Lou Barletta when he ran for the Senate in Pennsylvania. This is how you get rid of a politician who's not playing the game the way the party wants it. You defund their campaign, and then they can't put commercials on, and they lose. This is not what the founding fathers had in mind. And I'm going off on a tangent, but my outrage sometimes just overwhelms me, and I just need to vent. And since I don't go to a shrink, you're it. I'm on the couch, and I'm pouring out my my heart and my guts to you because I'm enraged, and you should be enraged. What we are losing is our country. What we are losing is the future for our children and their children. And we have been complicit by not getting involved earlier I'm just so thrilled that in California they just bounced members of the school board. We need to start bouncing politicians all over the place like a ping-pong tournament. Bounce those bums out. Get them the hell out of here. I don't care if they're with the hopping kangaroo party. If they don't represent we the people, they need to go. And I don't care if there's an R or a D after their name. I vote for candidates, not for parties. Period. Full stop. What I want to talk about today is a topic that's very close to my heart because it's an issue I've been raising ever since even before 
In fact, the very first time that I testified before a congressional hearing was May 20th, 1997, four and a half years before the attacks of 9-11, four and a half years after the attacks of 93 that I started out mentioning at the beginning of my program. The topic was immigration fraud and visa fraud because it was everyone's understanding that those attacks were only possible because aliens from other countries came to the United States and gamed the immigration system lied about political asylum, lied about their backgrounds, lied about their identities, lied about everything. That enabled them to enter the country. It enabled them to hide in plain sight. It enabled them to carry out murderous attacks, while others did the same thing. Some of them were successful. Some, thankfully, weren't. But almost every single time when we had terrorists come to America, it was the immigration system that failed, not the agriculture system, not the IRS. Not customs. It was the immigration system. It was the immigration system. And the politicians want you to believe that once we secure the Mexican border, the sun will shine and men will no longer need Viagra. And if you believe that story, well, lots of luck. We need a border wall. Let me be very clear. A border wall is essential. But it is only one element of what needs to be a coordinated system. And I can't tell you how many times in my travels around the United States All that anybody wanted to talk about was the border wall. The border wall, the border wall. If we had a border wall, what would happen? And how tall should the wall be? And should we run AC current or DC current through concertine wire? And should the wall be 30 feet high or 50 feet high? My gosh, folks, we're foolish. We're foolish. Very few, if any, terrorists came through the Mexican border. A couple came through the Canadian border. Most of the terrorists, including the 9-11 hijackers, came through international airports. If we had the deflector shield from the Starship Enterprise across the entire Mexican border and that even flies couldn't get through without getting zapped and incinerated, 9-11 would have happened exactly the way 9-11 happened. The Boston Marathon bombing attack would have happened exactly the way it did. The San Bernardino terror attack would have happened exactly the way it did. The border wall would have had zero impact. And then, of course, the wise asses will say, well, then we don't need a border wall, right? Wrong. I call the immigration system the immigration colander. You know, a colander that you use to drain pasta has lots of holes in it. Plugging one or two holes and leaving the other holes wide open does not turn a colander into a bucket. How many holes do you need in the bottom of your boat for the boat to wind up at the bottom of the lake? And the answer is only one. Of course, the crooked politicians, I've got to stop using this redundant terminology. The crooked politicians will say, well, you know, we'll secure the Mexican border. And then what? They would have us believe that if there's a hole in the bottom of your boat, I guess their solution would be to drill more holes in the hope that the water that's pouring in from one hole will go out the other holes that they drilled. might sound twisted and humorous or sarcastic, but it's nuts. When we give an alien a green card, when we give an alien a U.S. passport, we are handing over the keys to the front door. We had a whole bunch of robberies in Westchester and other high-income neighborhoods a number of years ago. And the crooks would target very expensive cars, BMWs, um, Mercedes, Rolls Royces, Maybachs, you name it. They were, why? Ferraris. Because what they did is they would break into the car and they wouldn't steal the car. Why do they break into the car? 
they stole the garage door opener. Well, why would you want a garage door opener? Well, think about it. If you have the license plate of the car, you know where the car is registered, most likely. If you have the garage door opener, you wait for the people to go to work in the morning, and then you open the garage door, and many houses give you access to the main house when you go into the garage. You get into the garage, you close the garage door, and then you have all the time in the world to break through the door that leads to the house from the garage. And they were cleaning out these houses left, right, and center. They were opening the garage, going in. Half these idiots with these $500,000 cars weren't even changing the passcode on their garage door openers. You know, it was like one, two, three, four, five. So they would, they would try all kinds of combinations. And ultimately, it, they succeeded. And there was no sign of a forced entry <clears throat> because they came in to what would appear to be a normal way, a legal way in the case of immigration. If you give people a passport, they can walk right through that front door, right through that port of entry, whether the port of entry is on the Mexican border, the Canadian border, along the seaport, come on a ship. Certainly, you can come through international airports, and just about every state has at least one international airport. So they were landing at airports, and then once they got the green card, they were home free. They could have access to airplanes and government and corporate office buildings. They could get jobs. They could do everything. People said to me, if we had mandatory E-Verify, problem solved, you couldn't hire illegal aliens. Well, wait a minute. People cheat on their taxes. And by the way, Joe Biden wants to hire an army of over 80,000, 80,000 IRS agents. Because Americans are terrorists. We heard that uh, when Americans stood up to the insanity of, of critical race theory. Critical race theory, in my judgment, is about creating conflict. You know, we're at our best when we can find conflict resolution tactics that are peaceful and agreeable. What we're getting with critical race theory is conflict incubation, conflict instigation. Think of Maxine Waters. Boy, I don't want to ruin your weekend. But think of Maxine Waters railing at her followers. You follow those members of the Trump administration into gas stations and shopping centers and stores, and you get in their face and you scream at them and you get aggressive and you yell and you holler and you scare the hell out of them. And meanwhile, she's the one screaming about what the right is doing. And again, I remind you, I'm a registered Democrat. This isn't left or right, folks. This is right or wrong. What they're looking for is conflict instigation, not resolution, but instigation. You're white, you can't be redeemed. And they've also turned their ire, their anger, on Asian Americans. And I will tell you, I'm Jewish. And I've confronted anti-Semitism, and it ain't pretty. And the funny thing about anti-Semitism is that if somebody is a racist towards black people and a person is black, they figure it out pretty quickly, either by what they hear or what they're called, or you know. <clears throat> you'd be amazed at how many times you work with somebody. You think he's a nice person or she's a nice person. They don't know I'm Jewish. And suddenly all kinds of stuff comes out over dinner or over lunch or while we're having a meeting. You know how the Jews are. I remember one day I went up to state with my partner to arrest an illegal Mexican who was arrested by the police up in Westchester. And the police lieutenant who turned this guy over to me said, you know, when we arrested him, everybody in the bar accused us of being Nazis. I said, well, I certainly hate to hear that kind of garbage. 
And then the guy smiled at me, winked, and said, well, Hitler wasn't all bad. I mean, some of his ideas really had merit. Wink, wink. And my partner looked at him and said, where do you come off? He said, well, you're not a Jew, are you? And my partner said, yeah, I am. I said, I, he said to him, I can show you my Jewish star or something else to prove to you that I'm a Jew. And the guy didn't know what to say. Now, why am I telling you this? Because this is stupidity. We should be showing empathy for everybody. Life, folks, is a very tough proposition. And I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're born into poverty or you're born into wealth and privilege. I hate to use that word privilege because I don't mean it the same way that they do. But everyone suffers losses. The loss of parents, the loss of spouses, children, whatever. Life is a tough proposition. It's not an easy deal. My dad said to me that if we could hang our problems on a clothesline and then our neighbors would do the same thing, and if you could walk down the block and look at everyone's clothesline, you'll probably come back for your own problems, bad as you might think they are. It was, it was a great way of saying it. And he said, if you run into people who are stupid enough to be anti-Semitic, and my mother told me the same thing, and that was a very sore issue for all of us, as you might imagine, but my mother in particular, because her mother, my grandmother, was slaughtered in Poland along with her family because she couldn't get out of Poland, and being a Jew, um, well, she was killed. So anti-Semitism is a hot issue for us. It should be for everybody if you're decent and honest. Just as racism infuriates me, any kind of bigotry infuriates me. You don't attack people for issues they can't control. You can dislike anybody you want to dislike because of who they are as in terms of their actions. They're liars, they fight, they swindle, whatever. That's cool. You don't have to like them. <clears throat> but there's no such thing as wrong race, wrong religion, wrong ethnicity. We are born into the circumstances that we're born into. But critical race theory isn't satisfied with that. America started with slavery, so America is, is, is should be finished. Working mightily to finish America, divide and conquer, attack each other, and hope that by all of this conflict, America will falter. And waiting in the wings, who do we have? China, Russia, Iran. For those who want to see America fail, I'd like to give them a one-way ticket to one of those three countries. I'll give them a choice. Which one do you want to go to? China, Russia, Iran. Take your pick. Just don't come back again. See how you make out over there. What's in all, America, in my judgment, is the best country that ever existed. But the problem is the kids, they aren't learning that lesson. I've been watching Jeopardy. We've been watching it for many years. We, we certainly were. Uh, we mourned the loss of Alex Trebek. But the college kids, there were two questions that came up in the last week or so. <clears throat> One question, if you saw it, if you were following the college version, who was given um, honorary U.S. citizenship because he's credited with saving democracy? Only one person knew. The others were completely confused. Of course, the answer was Winston Churchill. But he's an old white guy, so why would anybody want to study about Winston Churchill? The other question, and this was just two days ago, was where was the uprising during the Second World War? And a couple of the people there had no idea. Someone thought that it was Berlin. Of course, the answer was Warsaw, not far from where I believe my grandmother was murdered because we, my mother lost track of her once the war got revved up. That was that. We should be teaching what happened in the past. 
We should be teaching about slavery and the Holocaust and the atrocities and man's inhumanity towards other people. Not to have a grudge. You don't hold children responsible for the crimes committed by their parents or their ancestors, but so that we don't permit history to repeat itself. You either learn from history or you're doomed to repeat it. Imagine the people who stood up in Warsaw and were mowed down fighting the Nazis. You want to talk about anti-fascists, the Antifa? Well, think about the Warsaw Uprising. Think about the young men who died at Omaha Beach and who died at Normandy, who, who died in the skies over Europe and the skies over Japan and in the seas fighting for America's survival, for the freedom of Europe. Those were the anti-fascists. They have these programs on, and people used to laugh. Jay Leno did jaywalking, and they would stop students at Columbia University. And this was years ago, and say, well, who was, who was America fighting in the Second World War? And they thought it was England. They thought it was France. They have no clue. Maybe it was Russia. <clears throat> and people thought it was funny. I did, and I thought it was scary. If you don't know what these wars were about, how in the world do you understand where we are today and what those countries are about today? We need to start to teach our children to have an appreciation for the rich history that is our country's. Warts and all. Let's look at the mistakes, but look at what we've done to correct the mistakes and take this country in the better direction that it should go. Think of how the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence starts out in order to form a more perfect union. America is a work in progress. America is a work in progress. And what the other side has been doing is to vilify anybody who would dare suggest that we protect ourselves. If you dare suggest that we be careful about who we're letting into the country, you're a xenophobe, a hater, and a racist. Nothing could be further from the truth. Our immigration laws are completely blind as to race, religion, and ethnicity. And I can tell you, I couldn't have enforced or administered those laws for 30 seconds, let alone 30 years, if we made distinctions by race, religion, or ethnicity. I probably arrested more criminal Israelis who came to the United States, wanted back in Israel for crimes including murder, than any other agent in the New York office, because when I became a new agent, I tripped over a terror plot in Israel, and as a consequence, we prevented the bombing of an oil refinery and saved quite a few lives. I worked very closely with the Israeli National Police, and they were always ready, willing, and able to jump in and give us any help that we needed, even providing us with their detectives to sit on wiretaps here in New York because we were working on a major investigation involving an Israeli narcotics smuggling operation. Israelis aren't Latinos, okay? I got an award from the government of Japan. The Japanese aren't Latinos. I worked with New Scotland Yard and, and arrested a guy wanted for murder in England. I arrested a suspected IRA terrorist that took a firearm off of him. It's not about race or religion, but that's what we keep hearing is the lies, just like Trudeau now. Oh, these are terrorists. And you had some Democrat strategist on Fox earlier today accusing the truckers in Canada of having a violent demonstration. And I said, where's the violence? Where's the destruction? They're interfering with commerce. That's violence. What did he think happened at the White House when close to 100 federal officers were injured as the rioting lunatics tried to tear down the fence and storm the White House and set fire to the church across the street? Oh, I forgot. That was the peaceful demonstration. 
That's what's so dangerous and so vexing. The media is complicit. And if you go back to the Third Reich, it turned out that Hitler and company made use of the movie industry and the newspapers to spread lies and propaganda, the Ministry of Truth, right out of 1984. We're seeing it today in America. Orwell said that at a time of tyranny, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. Consider my program, that revolutionary act, be that the case. So to go back to the point that I was making, this focus on the Mexican border is not the solution to the immigration crisis. Never has been, never will be. It's an element of what should be an integrated system because once you give an alien lawful status, the wall doesn't matter. If you have a green card, if you have a United States passport, you walk into that port of entry, you show that document, and they will wave you in and embrace you and say, welcome home. And when they lie on those applications so we don't know their true identities, we don't know about their involvement with terrorism or with drug trafficking or other criminal organizations, Americans and lawful immigrants and even illegal aliens in our country die. These people want to come here and do harm. Why in the world would you not want to be careful about who you let in and who you give lawful status to? This is critical. Interior enforcement of the immigration laws is the one issue that has never been addressed, and it's the one issue that will be most effective. If you want to go after human traffickers, you need to arrest illegal aliens who can tell you who brought them here. It's a very simple proposition. I'm going to be working on an article because the Biden administration and the Attorney General, Garland, is now saying that they're going to target human trafficking organizations and they're going to use the FBI, but not a single word about DHS being involved in investigating human trafficking, even though immigration authorities have unique authority to pursue individuals who bring aliens across our borders in violation of law. In fact, I testified about the role of immigration fraud and visa fraud in human trafficking, and guess who called me to testify? It was Sheila Jackson Lee. But that was about 15 years ago, and boy, has the world changed since then. In fact, Jackson Lee called me to testify about how the two of the dead terrorists, Mohammed Atta and Marwan al-Sheikh, could have been granted authorization to attend flight school six months after 9-11. If you remember that case, the hearing was in March of 2002, and C-SPAN has it up as a part of their permanent library. If you have two hours, I recommend you go watch, and you will hear what the members of Congress had to say and all the promises they made, and just about none of those promises have been kept. We've been placed in harm's way by our own government. And it's both parties. The Republicans wouldn't give Trump the border wall, if you remember. Right? Why is that? And they controlled both houses. I don't vote for candidates. I, vote, I don't vote for the parties. I vote for individual candidates. And we need to ask them pointed, direct questions that they can't wriggle out of like a fish wriggling off a hook. What was very alarming to me, and I, I mentioned it last week, and I wrote an article about it, is the fact that now the Biden administration has changed the mission statement for citizenship and immigration services. Now, as I tell you this, I want you to know there was breaking news just before I came on tonight. Fox News reported, let me read the report to you. This was, well, it was published 455, but I first heard it um, on Brett Baer. So it was just before I came on. Pentagon Inspector General reports as 50 Afghan evacuees brought to the U.S. have potentially significant security concerns. 
And the, the subtitle, U.S. agencies did not use all available data when vetting the Afghan, Afghan evacuees. And it talks about how many thousands of Afghanis disappeared. We don't know where they are. And to put that threat in perspective, 19 hijackers, just 19 hijackers on 9-11 killed more people than we lost to the entire Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. I go back again to what the 9-11 Commission had to say about this. You know, I provided testimony to the Commission. Why in the world is this happening? What is the ultimate goal of our government? Do they not understand that if they can't protect the American people, that nothing they do is worthwhile? I testified at one hearing, and I remember making the statement that most normal, sensible people leave, live their lives with the fundamental principle of safety first. How do we get safety first when you're allowing people into the country from a place where terrorism is running rampantly and not properly screen them. And it's not just the ones that we know are terrorists. Sleeper agents have kept a low profile. They're generally pretty young. <clears throat> and so if you run the name they give you, it comes back to nothing. And we allowed thousands in. And again, 19 hijackers did how much damage? The Tsarnaev brothers, two of them, think what they did at the Boston Marathon. You don't need to bring in thousands of terrorists, but I suspect that Mr. Biden has done precisely that. And if you think I'm overreacting, then let's look at this article that I wrote, and it's on Front Page Magazine. I hope that after the program you'll go to frontpagemag.com. I want you to read my article, and then what I want you to do is forward the link to every person you can imagine forwarding it to, especially people who disagree with you. We need to have a conversation, folks. We need to be able to disagree as mature, sensible adults. I don't have to agree with you on every issue or any issue. That's my freedom as an American. I was on a radio program, and, 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 and someone said to me, don't tell anybody that you have the vaccinations because you're going, to get the, you're going to piss off the audience. I wasn't sure whether the vaccine is right or wrong, but my wife and myself and my kids had a lengthy conversation and I ultimately decided, and we spoke, my wife spoke to her doctor, and we came to the conclusion that we would take the vaccine. Is it the right decision? God only knows. It's, it's tragic that we can't trust anybody anymore. It used to be that you thought your government was looking out for your best interests. That ship has sailed a long time ago. But to be told, don't say it on the air because you're going to piss off people. Well, why? I didn't tell them they have to take the vaccine or we should riot if people don't take No. We made one decision, but you should be free to make your own decision. That's what freedom looks like. How is it that we forgot what freedom looks and smells like, folks? That's what I don't get. And the nasty remarks about wearing masks. Oh, my God. No. If you think you should wear a mask, wear a mask. Who cares? That's your prerogative. I'm on the wrong side of 70. Generally, I don't go to too many stores although thankfully now things seem to be dying down, but you never know. So we're erring on the side of caution. Very often we have stuff delivered. Um, our, our son will sometimes go out and run an errand for us. We're just trying to stay out of crowded places or have been for quite a while. We're, we're hopeful that by spring we could finally get back to living normal lives. But these are decisions we're making, and we're entitled to them. And you can disagree and say, I will never wear a mask, and my answer is fine. I'm okay with that. I will never be vaccinated. That's excellent. Go for it. 
freedom means we have the right to disagree. We used to have that wonderful expression, I disagree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. TV shows have turned into food fights. And I started doing TV, and I've done literally thousands of interviews, especially shortly after 9-11. Every time I did a congressional hearing, Lou Dobbs at CNN and all these other programs wanted me to come on because they wanted to talk about the hearing and what my testimony included and are we safe? Are we safe? Feels like Marathon Man, if you remember that great movie. Is it safe? And it's common sense to want to be able to have an honest discussion and disagree with each other if need be. But when I started doing TV, and I'm not talking about Lou Dobbs, other programs, the producer said, when you come on the show, the other guy's going to try to talk over you. Your job is to talk over him. I said, is this a food fight? He goes, yeah. I said, we're talking about national security. How can you convey information to the American people, information that's about their life and death, and have a food fight? Well, we're all about the ratings. And the funny thing is, I studied TV production back in college. But it's never been quite this bad. If there's a movie that you really want to watch, I think you'll find it really interesting. And it's almost a documentary, although it isn't. It could be. It's network. And it was written by Patty Chayefsky. A brilliant movie with William Holden and a whole bunch of other actors. Great film, all about how screwed up broadcast journalism is. It really is a food fight. And, you know, we now think that that's the appropriate way to have an adult conversation. Name calling and screaming at each other and my way or the highway. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. But Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I started talking about her, said that America's mascot should not be the bald eagle, but the pendulum. We, the people, have to push that pendulum back to the center. We, the people, have to do that. We, the people, have to become involved, and we have to have conversations with our neighbors. And we should sit down with them and say, listen, you have children, and I have children. I have grandchildren, and you have grandchildren. And I know one thing, this common ground, is a good starting point, folks. Just so you know, I was going to teach debate on the college level. In high school and college, I never lost a debate. Common ground is the basis for a good starting point. Conflict resolution, not conflict instigation. We both want what's best for our children and their children. Let's look at the facts and let's see if we can figure out what really needs to be done to protect America and Americans. There's no way to argue against that position unless the person's a raving lunatic. And I'm telling you, increasingly, people are looking at the situation, and they are willing to talk. They're willing to listen because everyone is starting to understand. Everyone is having buyer's remorse, okay? This is the golden moment that we've all been waiting for, I believe. Don't blow it. The title of my article for Front Page Magazine, this is why I want you to send it to everybody and ask them to do the same, be part of my bucket brigade of truth. So the Biden administration, national security is mission irrelevant. USCIS mission statement underscores the dangerous priorities. USCIS is United States Citizenship and Immigration Services. They adjudicate the applications for political asylum. They adjudicate applications for green cards, for U.S. citizenship, for aliens to be able to go to school. Think about the two that were given permission to go to flight school. USCIS would be handling those applications today, okay? 
Now, if you want to see what really happens, and this blew my mind, that's why I decided to write the article, under the Trump administration, the mission statement, and mission statements are important because the mission statement sets the tone. When you look at the mission statement of any organization, whether it's a government, whether it's an agency, whether it's a corporation, it tells you what the priorities and goals and orientation are for that organization. It's, it's a way of educating the public and a way of also educating the employees. It's your marching orders, right? Mission statements. Under the old statement, USCIS, Citizenship and Immigration Services, was described as administering the nation's lawful immigration system, safeguarding its integrity and promise by efficiently and fairly adjudicating requests for immigration benefits while protecting Americans, securing the homeland, and honoring our values. Do any of you have a problem with that statement? Sounds just about right, doesn't it? It's a balance. We want to welcome in those people who are lawfully entitled to come here. We're not talking about shutting down immigration. But at the same time, the priority is to be careful to protect Americans and our country. Fair enough. Well, guess what? The Biden administration has now changed it. And the Biden administration now says the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services upholds America's promise as a nation of welcome and possibility with fairness, integrity, and respect for all we serve. Where is there anything in there about protecting America or Americans, especially when you look at what the 9-11 Commission had to say? Let me read something to you. There is a document that's an official report that was written by the staff of the 9-11 Commission. I knew many of these people. Again, I provided testimony to the Commission. Uh, there were immigration agents there. There were FBI agents, State Department agents. They interviewed quite a few people. And the staff sat down and lawyers and came up with a report called 9-11 and terrorist travel. They focused entirely on immigration, how the terrorists can enter the United States, travel around the world, travel around the United States, and go about deadly preparations under the radar. Very important topic, you would think. The preface of that report begins by saying, it is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they're unable to enter the country. That actually almost exactly parallels what I provided in my written testimony for the commission. I think it's common sense, right? But it goes on and says, yet prior to September 11, while there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool of the counterterrorism arsenal. Indeed, even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa and gaining admission into the United States, border security still is not considered a cornerstone of national security policy. We believe, for reasons we discuss in the following pages, that it must be made one. Fair enough, no? Do you think that the Biden administration is looking at that statement? If they are, they're saying, how do we undo this? Page 46 on that report said, once terrorists had entered the United States, their next challenge was to find a way to remain here. Their primary method was immigration fraud. For example, Yusuf and Ajaj concocted bogus political asylum stories when they arrived in the United States. How many of the aliens that are flowing into America and being put on those ghost flights have applied to political asylum? And then we get to page 98 under the title Immigration Benefits. 
terrorists in the 1990s, as well as the September 11th hijackers, needed to find a way to stay in or embed themselves in the United States if their operational plans were to come to fruition. As already discussed, this could be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen, achieving temporary worker status, think about DACA, and think about the way that the Biden administration is dealing with those aliens flooding across our borders, right, achieving temporary worker status, or applying for asylum after entering. In many cases, the act of filing for an immigration benefit sufficed to permit the alien to remain in the country until the petition was adjudicated. Terrorists, terrorists were free to conduct surveillance, coordinate operations, obtain and receive funding, go to school and learn English, make contacts in the United States, acquire necessary materials, and execute an attack. Who's adjudicating those applications, folks? USCIS. Now, it gets worse. If you thought it couldn't, it can't. Remember what my dad said. Nothing is so bad it couldn't be made worse. The Epic Times report that I started my article quoting, and that's why I really want you to read this, because the facts are there. The information is there. It's irrefutable. The Epic Times report that I cited also includes this disturbing excerpt about the new mission statement. Listen very carefully. Michael Knowles, President of the American Federation of Government Employees, Local 1924, I used to belong to the AFGE when I was an immigration agent, said the union supports the statement. The union supports the statement, meaning the new statement by the Biden administration. He told the Epic Times in an email that it reflects the views of many of the employees who do this important work. The union represents USCIS and Immigration and Customs Enforcement workers both agencies sit inside the Department of Homeland Security. So you have ICE agents and you have adjudicators who think that their job is simply to let everybody in. No discussion about the implications for national security. What I want to know is, number one, how these employees were screened when they were hired. Number two, I want to know what their curriculum looks like. What were they taught at the academy? Because they all go through academy. I know, I did. Then I want to know how they're evaluated. Are they evaluated by how many applications they approve? Are they evaluated by how many fraudulent uh, cases they uncover? Because from everything that I've read, there is no consideration about looking for fraud. It's about get out that approval stamp and bang away and give everybody everything. And that's not that far-fetched. Because on October 22nd, 2021, just a couple of weeks ago, I wrote an article for front page, Biden administration plans to protect immigration fraudsters. So think about that one. They're going to protect immigration fraudsters. What that meant is that if people apply for U.S. citizenship and they lie, Alejandro Mayorkas, the head of Homeland Security, said we're not going to do anything to take citizenship away from them. We've made them citizens, and if they lie, so be it. They need to feel secure in our country. Mayorkas had actually worked as the head of Citizenship and Immigration Services under the Obama administration, which is why I wrote an article that, um, that this was back on December 7th last year. My article for front page, the title was Biden's DHS, Department of Homeland Surrender. Alejandro Mayorkas, the architect of DACA, picked by Biden to head the DHS. I knew this guy was a train wreck. When he was the head of, of Citizenship and Immigration Services, 
there were some very serious problems. And so I'm going to read to you a little segment that I think is really important for you to understand. By the way, I wrote a major article a couple of years back about immigration fraud. I entitled it, Immigration Fraud, Lies That Kill. The 9-11 Commission identified immigration fraud as a key embedding tactic of terrorists. Again, this has nothing to do with the border wall. Do you see why the border wall is, I won't say a complete distraction, but everyone's thinking border wall, border wall. And all you're hearing from the Republicans, right? We're going to finish the wall. And then what are you going to do? Well, they, they want to bring in as many workers as possible. The immigration system, folks, is no longer a system designed to protect America or Americans. The Biden uh, mission statement makes that abundantly clear, doesn't it? I believe the immigration system for decades has been a, a delivery system, not a, not a law enforcement system, that delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor. And it's not just the illegals. It's the high-tech workers. It delivers an unlimited supply of foreign tourists. That's why Reagan gave us the visa waiver program. Shouldn't have. Wrong. It provides an unlimited supply of foreign students. How many Chinese engineers and programmers have we educated in America, and they're now using their skills against America? And many of them, while they were here, were given optional practical training where they worked for companies that got military contracts so they could spy easily on America, foreign students. Some terrorists who got engineering degrees in the United States in an undercover tape, they didn't know they were being surveilled, they were, they were being bugged actually said, isn't it great that we're going to jihadi university because they were acquiring the skills to build weapons? Diane Feinstein in 1998 raised her concerns at a hearing two days short of the fifth anniversary of the bombing of the World Trade Center in 1993. That hearing was February 24th, 1998, and she said maybe we ought to reconsider the visa waiver program. Maybe we shouldn't be giving visas to aliens that come from countries that sponsor terrorism. It was easier back then. Now many of those families have moved to Europe and countries that participate in the visa waiver program. They're not necessarily living in Saudi Arabia or Kuwait or, or Lebanon or, or God knows where. And then she said, we certainly ought to rethink this notion of providing aliens with training in, in science, physics, biology, because we're teaching our enemies how to make weapons of mass destruction. And she went on to cite a whole bunch of individuals who had either been trained in the United States or trained in England and elsewhere to build weapons, to get the explosive, to use in bombings, etc., etc. Why are we doing this? Well, the American Immigration Lawyers Association is, is the biggest recipient of a reward here because the immigration delivery system is also now delivering for them an unlimited supply of clients. And that's why comprehensive reform would have paid the legal fees for the illegal aliens. Lawful immigrants have to pay for the lawyers, just as you or I pay for our accountant when we file our tax return. But illegal aliens, free. Why? Well, because lawyers don't like to work for free. They're all about billable hours. Bob Goodlatte, who used to chair the House Immigration, I'm sorry, the House Judiciary Committee, which oversees immigration as well as the FBI, DEA, marshals, and so forth, is an immigration lawyer. He specializes in H-1B visas. He's a Republican. Zoe Lofgren, who now chairs the House Immigration Subcommittee, and I've testified before both of those bodies several times, she's an immigration lawyer and she's a Democrat. Both sides of the aisle, same goal. Keep that delivery system. You want to talk about the delivery chain? There's your delivery chain. Workers, students, tourists, 
clients to law firms. Keep those wagons rolling. Outrageous. So you've got Mayorkas heading up Citizenship and Immigration Services back in 2013. And on December 20th, 2013, I'm reading from a prior article, a website known then as Watchdog.com published a report, Grassley, meaning Chuck Grassley, and my last hearing back in 2013 was when I testified to Chuck Grassley at a hearing held by the Senate Judiciary Committee. And, and at the very end, I'm going to read to you the final two paragraphs of my prepared testimony for that hearing. And I was invited by Chuck Grassley, who at the time was the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. But Grassley um, rips DHS nominee Mayorkas on the EV-5 visa program. EV-5 is the treaty investor program. If you come up with a half million to a million dollars, you can basically buy a visa. And we found companies that had links to terrorism using that visa, and Mayorkas was ordering that his people approve petitions that never should have been approved, even when the FBI and Homeland Security Investigations and Division of ICE warned him. And this is the guy that now heads up the entire Homeland Security Agency. So let me read how this, how this goes. Washington, D.C. is Democrats in its filibuster-free U.S. Senate fill key administrative vacancies isn't that interesting? Filibuster-free U.S. Senate. That's what they want again, right? Filibuster-free. So key administrative vacancies. U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley, Republican from Iowa, assailed the Department of Homeland Security nominee for playing a key role in aiding Terry McAuliffe's electric car company to raise funds through a visa investor program. Yes, that's Terry McAuliffe. Quote, whistleblowers have provided my office, this is what Grassley said, with very troubling evidence. Much of the evidence involves the EB-5 Regional Center Program, which USCIS Services Director Alejandro Mayorkas is responsible for managing. Charge Grassley, the top Republican on the House Judiciary Committee, which oversees immigration issues. Quote, the evidence appears to support allegations that Mr. Mayorkas and his leadership team at Citizenship and Immigration Services are susceptible to political pressure and favoritism, the Iowa Republican said. But it gets even worse. In 2015, prompted by serious complaints from many USCIS employees, these people hadn't been brainwashed, I guess, like the current crop, okay? Um, by many USCIS employees, the Office of Inspector General conducted an investigation into allegations of malfeasance committed by Mayorkas when he was the head of USCIS. On March 4, 2015, a report of the findings of the investigation by the Office of the Inspector General, in other words, Internal Affairs, was released. The focus was on how applications for a particular visa category, the EB-5 visa, for aliens to invest between 500000 and a million in business that create jobs for Americans in the United States were wrongly approved. ABC News published several in-depth articles about the troubling findings of the OIG, on March 24th, ABC News reported top Homeland official Alejandro Mayorkas accused of political favoritism, um, and he oversaw that controversial visa program. Uh, but then we get to this. The above-noted report was pre were preceded by two ABC News reports that were published in February 2000, sorry, 2015, which illustrate a clear nexus between these visas and national security. Whistle, this is the title here. Whistleblowers, this is ABC News, back when they, they did a great job. Whistleblowers, U.S. gave visas to suspected forgers, fraudsters, criminals, and international documents show that the feds ignored warnings from the FBI, and it began with the sex search. Officials overseeing a federal program that offers an immigration shortcut to wealthy foreign investors have ignored pointed warnings from federal agents and approved visas for some immigrants 
suspected of having committed fraud, money laundering, and even one applicant with alleged ties to a child porn website, an ABC News investigation has found. The shortcomings prompted concerns within the Department of Homeland Security. Oh, goodness. I just lost it. Why did I do that? Ah. I apologize to you. Um, bear with me. I'm going to try to quickly uh, get back to it if I can. I don't know how I did that. Okay, I got it. Boy, we're racing the clock here. I just want to get to that one critical sentence. Officials overseeing a federal program that offers an immigration shortcut to wealthy foreign investors ignored pointed warnings from federal agents and approved visas of some immigrants suspected of having committed fraud, money laundering, and even one applicant with alleged ties to a child porn website, an ABC News investigation has found. Now listen to this. The shortcomings prompted concerns within the Department of Homeland Security that the boutique immigration program would be exploited by terrorists, by terrorists, according to internal documents. It is shocking, said Charles Grassley, an Iowa Republican, particularly when you have the FBI and other law enforcement agencies that are saying that national security could be compromised or is being compromised. And then it went on and said federal agents in Los Angeles are investigating an L.A. shipping firm and its Iranian-born owner who for years have participated in and promoted an obscure visa program allowing the company to recruit wealthy foreign investors. The company's name surfaced in a confidential Department of Homeland Security government document which raised concerns that this particular visa program may be abused by, by Iranian operatives to infiltrate the United States. Infiltrate the United States, and they're involved in terrorism. Wow. What are we doing? And as I told you, I testified back in March of 2013 at the invitation of Chuck Grassley, I want to read to you, and this is at the end of the article at Front Page, so you can see it if you go to Front Page Magazine. It was just posted today. This is how I concluded my testimony, and it's how I conclude my article today. Law enforcement is at its best when it creates a climate of deterrence to convince those who might be contemplating violating the law that such an effort is likely to be discovered and that if discovered, adverse consequences result for the law violators. Current policies and statements by the administration, in my view, and that's Obama then, encourages aspiring illegal aliens from around the world to head for the United States. In effect, the starter's pistol has been fired, and for these folks, the finish line to this race is the border of the United States. Back when I was an INS special agent, I recall that Doris Meisner, who was at the time the commissioner of the INS, said that the agency needed to be, quote, customer-oriented. Unfortunately, while I agree about the need to be customer-oriented with Ms. Meisner, and all too many politicians today seem to have forgotten, is that the, quote, customers of the INS and our government in general are the citizens of the United States of America. I stand by that statement. Please share that article with as many folks as you can. Get involved, folks. We are at a turning point. We are at crossroads. I hope you will take my suggestion strongly, and I want you to never forget the fact that democracy is not a spectator sport. Let's have those meetings and those conversations with our neighbors, and then let's make our elected so-called representatives accountable. I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. Stay safe. Stay warm. And we will see you again right here next week on the Michael Cutler Hour. So long, folks.